Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, this last week, I was blessed with the opportunity to be able to um, share a devotional thought at the Wesley Adult uh, Ministry Christmas get-together. And one of the things that I, I shared was a, a story of, uh, from my childhood, something that I remember uh, very vividly um, as it pertained to one tradition at Christmas that without fail would take place probably from birth until uh, just uh, maybe about five or ten years ago was the first time that uh, we missed out. And that was that every Christmas Eve, myself, and then as I uh, was married and had kids, um, and every other relative that you could think of would gather on my dad's side at my grandmother's house uh, for food, for a meal, uh, to hang out a little bit, and ultimately for kids, the, the highlight of the evening, to open some presents. And we'd get there fairly early, typically. If there was a Christmas Eve service, we would even go to the Christmas Eve service and then return. And ultimately, the the goal for us as children at this one was different than any other gathering at Grandma's house. It wasn't about going out and playing a game or playing football in the snow. It wasn't about, uh, you know, watching movies. This one was about conquering that giant pile of wrapped gifts that was under and around the Christmas tree. The goal was to get the parents earlier and earlier every year to let us open the presents. And ultimately, what would happen almost every single year was one of my uncles um, would take until the last minute to get the gifts that that he was going to purchase. And so on Christmas Eve even, we would find ourselves waiting for him to get there so that we could open our presents. The funny thing about that is it didn't stop us from one of our favorite and loudest traditions as a family, which was to remind the parents, hey, the reason we're gathered here in our minds was to get to these presents. And so we would start a little chant, and it would, it would go pretty simple. It would go something like this. Presents, 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 presents. And we would begin to chant that, and more would join in, and, and, and eventually the whole house was filled with this loud chant of all the kids chanting presents over and over again. And my dad was actually the oldest sibling, and therefore he was given the role in our family, our extended family, to pass out the presents, and he would have to be the one that would go around and quiet us all down, say, it's not time yet, it's not time to start. And after three or four times like this, eventually either my uncle would get there, or we'd wear them down enough, and everyone would gather in around the tree as close as we could, and it would be time to open presents. And I think about that story, or I think about that, 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 that instance, and I think about that time after time after time, every single year, and I think about the reality that in many cases we would open presents, and when we would open presents, you'd get that toy you wanted or that thing you were looking for. Maybe you'd be surprised by getting something you didn't know you wanted. I remember one year, and I don't know if it was a hint or if it was just a joke, but my, my, one of my uncles finally came forward and told me, I got 17 toothbrushes, because joke gifts were also a funny thing, but all of that was a practical joke gift. He just kept getting them, and I kept thinking, man, my name's on every present, right? But throughout this this whole thing, I can't help but think about the fact that opening gifts brought us happiness. 
Opening gifts and getting a present brought us happiness, meaning in the time when we open them, our circumstances brought forth a smile to our face, that little, that little thing in your, in your spirit that you're like, wow, that was really neat. I can't believe this person thought of me. I can't believe I got this. This is really fun. I'm going to have a good time. But inevitably, as you know, and I know that after a while, toys either fade or they break or they get lost or they disappear or we get older and therefore the happiness wanes a little bit. And now looking back over the course of, of these chants that we had, and probably countless times, I, I, I bet over the course of, of 25 years or so that we chanted at least a hundred times, presence, presence, presence. And every time we spelled it out, P-R-E-N-T-S. Yeah, did I spell it wrong? I knew I did for a minute there. I'll admit English is my first language, but. <laughs> However, as I look back at it and I, and I think about this concept of joy, I can't help but realize that in the heart of you and I, that it's not about the presence, T-S, at all. It's about the presence of Jesus. You know, we didn't recognize or really think about what we were actually chanting. In fact, we weren't chanting that at all. But we do now, or you and I now can look at this and say, when it comes to experiencing real and lasting joy, it's rooted in the presence of Jesus in our lives. And so as we walk through this, this uh, week, this sermon this week, and as we walk through this week as a whole, the question, what is joy, is one that maybe for those of us who, who kind of reflect upon the week and, and walk through the Advent calendar, or maybe we're just kind of attempting to try to understand what God did and what he went through and what impact that has on our lives, we're going to look today at, at the life of, of Elizabeth, and we're going to look today at the life of Mary, two women from Scripture. But let us first just kind of ask the question, what is joy? Joy in and of itself, having joy includes a feeling cheer or vibrant happiness. But joy in and of itself is much fuller. It's much deeper. It's a spiritual thing. It has a spiritual expression of God's goodness, the involvement of Him engaging in our lives. It's a deeper-rooted, inspired happiness. In fact, it's deeper than happiness because joy is an inside-out it's an inside-out expression. You know, happiness comes from our outward, outward consequences or our outward uh, circumstances. Okay, I got a present. It makes me happy, right? That's how we were as children. However, joy is this, I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm filled with God. I'm in the presence of God, and therefore, I will live differently on the outside. And sometimes it looks like happiness. Sometimes it manifests itself in happiness. But happiness is merely a consequence of circumstance. Joy is the response of the presence of the king. Joy comes from within, not simply from our behavior modification or the things that are taking place around us. In fact, we can be joyful in dire circumstances. We can be filled with joy when we're, when we're faced with difficult situations or with a great loss. We can be filled with joy when we're frustrated or mad or things in our life don't go the way that we want them to. At the same time, we play an active part in joy, because sometimes we might look at joy and we think, okay, well, joy is something that we just have or just comes to us because of God. But joy is also a choice. 
Expressing or, 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 or living in a place of experiencing joy is actually, in many cases, is a choice because we can have a hardened heart and shut it off. We can shut off God's presence in our life. We can say, no, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. As we walk through this Advent season, we, we look at Advent, meaning this coming of the King, this arrival once again. We walk through the idea that, that Christmas is, is not simply just an extension of Advent, but instead it's much bigger than that. It's the past, the present, and the future. And as we look at the past and we look at the lives of Elizabeth and Mary, these mothers that have this great joy, I think there's a lot for us to learn. These mothers that were, were both, I should say, expecting mothers at the time in, in Luke chapter 1, you know, I, I've said over the last couple of weeks, we're going to get to the actual nativity, the, the, the narrative of Jesus' birth. We're going to get there, but I'm going to just tell you right now, just up front, we're not going to get there today. You got to come on Christmas Eve. We'll get there. We've talked about the shepherds. We've talked about, we talked about the, the two faithful that were in the temple as Jesus was, was anointed, right, from, from Simeon and, and Anna. Last week, Pastor Seth talked a little bit about Mary and kind of walked through what it means to have this expression of real love and, and, and what it means to walk through a, 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 loving, uh, um, a, a loving posture and a, a loving life that gives and receives love unconditionally the way that God recalls and God designs us to. But today we're going to look at these, these expressions from these two women. The story uh, of the nativity actually begins, you know, as we kind of zoom out on the pretext, it begins by setting the stage for Jesus' birth. It doesn't just start in, in Luke uh, chapter 2 and, and, and go through his birth, but it starts before that, recognizing that the angels, that God intervenes in the lives of people, even before, even prior to, expressing that Jesus is going to come. And even before that, that Jesus' a relative, John the Baptist, is also going to come. And Elizabeth and Mary presumed to be cousins in Scripture, but in any event, they were related in some way. Mary, the mother of John the Baptist, or excuse me, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, and Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ. Both of them carrying very important people in the life of any believer, in the life of many that lived at that time as well. When I was in, in, in college, I was a resident assistant one year, and I had two brothers on my floor. Two brothers on my floor. One of them was named Charles. He was a great guy. He was a ministry major, had, had, a, had a heart for Jesus, and, and, and contributed a lot to the other men on the floor and, and, and to those that served, uh, the place where he served within the church while he was in college as well. And Charles's brother, his name was Jesus. I don't know where his parents were when they named the children. Okay, you will be Charles, a strong name, and you will be Jesus. I don't know if there was any envy there or any frustration, but I can tell you that both of them have, what through their name, have this strong account, this strong responsibility, and both ministry majors, both stepping into God's call for their life. Well, let me just say, there was no diminished role for John the Baptist. His role was important. His role was intended. And as the, the angels came and as they engaged with, with, with John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, and then also with Elizabeth, there was a purpose for his life. Just the same, there was also a purpose uh, for Jesus his life. We're going to start, uh, we're going to read primarily in chapter 1 of Luke. I'm going to jump around a little bit, but we're going to start in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, and it reads like this. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of, of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. 
Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. You know, as we read this right now, we can also, we can, we can all just, in some regard, we can look at this and, and maybe make some, uh, some, some thoughts or make some um, assumptions about this couple. As we look at uh, Elizabeth in and of herself, I'm sure that as, as she wanted to be a mother but was unable to do so, she probably carried around a little bit of baggage, a little bit of frustration, maybe even uh, just uh, some, some doubt or some pain, some disappointment. In fact, much of, of, of this, the, the joy that's born out of this, uh, this child that she was to come probably came from the disappointment of the grief that she had experienced from her life and to this point. For her and her husband were married, but they couldn't have children. So as we look at Elizabeth, let's kind of step back in her story. She was older in age and, and, and notable that she was unable to conceive. She wasn't able to have a child. This would have spoken volumes of, about her and about her husband. And even in this time, the people understood that, you know, in Roman rule, the time that they were under oppression and all the frustration that had come, it was a time of corruption. And, and these two, Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, they were upright. They were, they were they, as it says here, they were righteous in the sight of God. Yet for some reason, they were not blessed with a child. But that changes miraculously as a result as you continue to read over the course of the next several verses. And I'll encourage you to read that later today. We're not going to cover it specifically. Zechariah was embraced with the fact that he was going to have a child. And Elizabeth, uh, he, she also believed as they walked through all of this, picking up in verse 23, it says, When the time came, when the time of the service was completed, it, it, he returned home. This was after Zechariah had heard and had, had engaged in the service as he was a priest. And in verse uh, 24, it says, After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary questioned this. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I'm kind of changing the setting here. We, we kind of see it, it kind of skip over to this other setting of, of where Mary is. And Mary received this news gracefully and, and, and willingly. But at some point early on, Mary must have known that the challenges and the, disgraces, the, the disgrace that others might have was going to come. Because she asked the question, but I'm a virgin. How am I going to explain this? 
Last week we heard uh, the reading during the monologue reading during the candle lighting. Uh, what am I supposed to do? And it kind of almost brought that to light, brought, brought kind of a, a humanized understanding. Like there, there was literally a person named Mary. This isn't just a character that was made up fiction. There was literally a person named Mary that one day an angel came to her and told her, you're going to become pregnant with the son of God. And guess what? You are going to be a virgin. And, and, and I don't know how you're going to explain this. But this is what's going to happen. And so think about how she walked through this and, and what she thought and how, how, how she would understand or how she would take this news. How do you make people believe the baby in your womb is God's son? Mary's journey wouldn't be an easy one, but her response is amazing. In verse 39, at, the, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And I think this is very telling about the understanding of the joy within these two women. Because she knew as she had heard from the angel that her, her, her whether it be a cousin or an aunt, that she had, she had also conceived and she had also received the same type of message. And so if anybody would understand this pregnancy that I can't really describe, this, this thing that has happened to me that I don't really know what to, what to make of it, it would be Elizabeth. And so she ran joyfully to talk about this. Maybe that's why, as, as Luke tells us, that Mary hurried to a town in the hill of, of country of Judah. That, that she ran to this place uh, to talk to Elizabeth, who had also experienced a miraculous pregnancy. If anyone would understand. So we have these two women, one being told you're going to have this son even after you haven't been able to conceive for so long. And he's going to be the forerunner for the, for the king, for the savior. And the other saying, hey, look, you, have, you, you, you are a virgin. You have not even been married yet, but, but God is going to use you as the vessel to which he's going to bring the, this child, God incarnate, God, God in human form in the person of Jesus Christ to this world. And the response, I'm sure, for the two of these women was, was confused and scared. But above all else, especially as they came together, it was joyful. Because ultimately, while they were concerned, their circumstances were difficult, and happiness probably waned, joy reigned uh, immensely in their lives because they knew that God was in control. And they believed and they felt the presence of God. This is where joy erupts. This is where it comes from. And I'll read the rest of the way through, through 39. It says, At that time Mary got, up, got ready and hurried to the town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The baby literally heard this voice, knew that it was in the presence of Mary and Jesus, the, the, the unborn Jesus within her, within her womb, and leapt, literally leapt because because of this presence of the king, right? In the loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Why did you come here? Why did you come to visit me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then Mary goes into song, expressing the joy that she has, the, the expression of joy and love in, in, in what God has done in her life. Her joy is bursting through. Her joy is immense. 
There's three things specifically, there's a lot we can learn from this passage. There's three things specifically that I, I want to point to when we understand this, this, this joy, this concept of, of real and lasting joy. The first one is, it's okay to be both joyful and happy. Now you've heard me today already and probably in the past talk about there's a difference between happiness and joy. There's a difference between how we have happiness and how we, we receive and express and engage in joy. Certainly, as we look at the two, neither one is good or bad, but instead they, they both have a, 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 an existence. They both have a purpose within our lives. I, I know that some of you know this about me, but I, I like to hunt. I like to, to sit in the woods and, and, and just kind of ponder and, and just clear my mind and be at peace as much as I do actually harvesting uh, a deer. But I, I can tell you there's been some frustrating moments uh, in my life when it comes to hunting. And most of them go back to me making decisions that I later regret. Not too long ago, I was, I was planning a hunt, and, and, and this was one that I was going to go by myself. A lot of times, I'll, I'll take one of my kids, or I'll go with someone else just to kind of enjoy the fellowship time together. But this one, I wanted to go by myself. I had a good book. I put together all the stuff I needed to wear. I got my boots, and I, I packed up my car and put my weapon in, got everything together, and I, and I drove to uh, the place that I was going to hunt. And as I got there, I got all my stuff on, got everything together, got my gun loaded, and, and began to set off towards the place where I was going to set. It was a, a good 15-minute hike as I went very slowly in and, and kind of just crept a little bit at a time. And I finally get to the blind, and I get all set up, and I have about two and a half hours until uh, uh, shooting light was over, which is about a half hour after sunset. And so I thought, I'm just going to sit here and relax. I never even really got my book out. I just kind of sat and looked. And as some of you uh, that, that uh, hunt, you, you, you sit there a couple hours, you might get a little bit antsy, you might get a little bit tired, you might get a little bit frustrated. And so I sat there and about two hours in, I had a half hour left, I thought, ah, oh, man, I know God's not going to be, you know, really concerned, but I'm just going to throw a quick prayer up. I just like to see something, right? I just like to see something. And not shortly after, and I'm sure he giggled a little bit like you did, not shortly after, a little deer comes out, and as it got closer, it was less little and more, you know, yeah, that's a shooter, right? And as it came through, it kind of walked across the field in front of me, got into a clear spot, and I got all lined up, got everything together, moved everything around the way that I needed it to be, kind of went through a checklist in my mind, okay, is everything safe? Is everything good? Okay, which way am I shooting? Where's it going to run if I shoot? I got everything together. And for whatever reason, I shot at the deer, and it kind of did one of these, yeah, see ya, and ran away. And so I sat there kicking myself for the next 15 minutes, thinking, man, that was a bad shot. I got 15 minutes left. I blew the whole area out. There's nothing here. I'll go see if there's anything there. I'm, I'm pretty sure it didn't act like a, de a deer that was hit. I'm pretty sure I didn't hit. I'll just go look around, and then I'll walk out of here, and I got out of the blind, and just as I did, I kind of stumbled out, made a little bit of noise. I looked to my left, and about 50 yards away, there was five or six deer just kind of looking at me like, hey, what's up? Just on the other side of the field. And they did one of these turn around and showed me their tail, which is like the white flag, which doesn't mean I surrender. It means see you later. And they ran down the, the hill and ran away. And I, so I kicked myself thinking, man, I, I never do that. I always wait until the last possible second. 
So I walked over to where the deer was that I, I shot at that I assumed I missed. I looked around, there was nothing on the ground, couldn't find any tracks, couldn't find any sign of a, of a clean hit or any kind of hit at all. And so I kind of got frustrated and walked around where I thought it ran or where I saw it run and didn't see anything. And as I came back out of the little brush where I was, I saw two deer on the next hill over. I thought, okay, what time is it? I've got about 15 minutes. So I hoofed over the other side of the hill, kind of hunched down, and, and with, had just my gun with me, hunched down around, went around this log pile, and as I got lined up and ready, I thought, this is going to be perfect. I just barely nudged a log, it fell, and the two deer that are standing there did the same deal. Hey, good to see you. Merry Christmas, I'll see you later. And they ran away. And it's kind of frustrating. So I'm getting my stuff together, I walk back over and get my stuff together, and putting all the things on that I had taken off, my backpack and all the stuff I needed. And I began to walk out of the woods just as it's getting darker and darker. And I get to my car and I'm kind of finishing up some text messages of people that I got. I didn't have any service where I was, which was a blessing, but finishing up some text messages. And the last one I sent to is just a, hey, just so you know, I'm on my way home. And I'm not going to tell you who it was. You might be able to guess. And so I get in the car and I start the car and it's starting to warm up and I, I, I turn, pull out and I get ready to, to drive out of the drive onto the road where I was. And before I do, I get a bing on my phone. I look down and just as I do, a, a car comes by and as it comes by in front of me, five beautiful deer just run across the street right in front of me and run right in front and into the field where I was just hunting. Now, obviously it was dark. They were un, untouchable as the the deer that uh, would be pulling Santa's sleigh, but it was just one of those things where I thought, man, just insult to injury, right? Right there before I leave. And I look down at my phone and it says, have a safe trip home, watch for deer. <laughs> I wasn't happy. I was pretty aggravated, pretty frustrated with myself. I put the phone down, I began to drive home. And as I drove home, the first thing I could think of was, God, thanks for the sermon illustration. And then as I thought more about happiness this week as I'm preparing this and thought more about that situation, I thought, man, I sat in the car and I've stewed and was frustrated about the, the, the misses and that kind of thing. And really what I could have done is began to think about the fact that I was in a warm car that was full of gas. That as I went home, I was going to go home to a warm home and a loving family and I was going to have enough food that I needed to sustain myself and that, that I had all the, the modern conveniences that were necessary and, and all the things that God had provided for me and that happiness was there. But above all else, I also recognized the fact that I could have joy. Because even as I was walking around in the field, getting in my, in my own ways, as I was driving home, even now in this moment, I live, you and I live in the presence of God. And while happiness is circumstantial, and certainly we can choose happiness because there's things in our lives that we can look at and say, man, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm very fortunate that God has given me this or given me that. We can also recognize that we can choose joy because we always have the presence of God, whether we feel it or not. And I would venture to say that in most cases, when we don't experience or we don't feel the presence of God, it's not because he moved away. It's probably because we did. I'll take the word probably away. It's because we did. It's because we put something between us. We're holding on to something other than him. We've allowed some kind of wedge to be driven between us and the God who wants to be in our presence. And that's where joy once again comes from. I know happiness is fleeting and temporary and joy is deeper and more fulfilling, but ultimately joy, or excuse me, happiness comes from the source of joy. 
As I sit now and as I sat in the car and as I thought more about this whole concept of, of being frustrated about the things that I don't have, I recognize too the things I do have that, that bring me happiness come from the one who brings and gives joy. When we talk about stewardship, we talk about the ways that God has blessed us with our time, our talent, and treasure, and the things that we have in our lives, the relationships, the jobs, all of those things, we can do so because of the fact that we have a God who loves us and provides us with joy. In actuality, the Bible doesn't make a distinction between joy and happiness. Uh, they're essentially different words that mean the same thing. They, they kind of move and change through culture and through language because they have different nuances. But th- th- there's a great joy in this Christmas season. And it's good to embrace and celebrate joy because of the fact that we are in the presence of God. So let me just say this. For those of you who are, are walking through the, the, the obligatory season of doing this or doing that, the busy season of getting these things done, the, all the things that go into this, let me just say it, it, it can be time to embrace personal happiness through expressing thank you to God. At the same time, for those of you who are walking through a painful, difficult season, Perhaps you lost someone this year or maybe even around Christmas, and this is a time that brings up a a, a difficult moment for you, a difficult season for you. We just encourage you to, to cling on to the presence of God because He will bring a real and lasting joy even in the midst of our darkness, of our frustration, of our concern, of our loss. He will reveal Himself in this season in a way that maybe we can never could. Joy is at the root of happiness. It's the result of engaging in the joy that we can have in Jesus. Which brings us to our next thing, that joy is our strength. Joy is our strength. Joy is the the strength that we can have. In in the Old Testament, we read about the the Israelite people and and God's chosen people. They kind of went through a roller coaster throughout their lives, throughout their existence, throughout their history. One of the specific things that took place for for those that that served God, uh, the Israelite people, is that they were were taken into captivity. The, The Babylonians overcame them, took them into captivity, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed their holy places, destroyed everything that they had. And for a time, they lived in, in captivity. There were a few that were able to remain, but they couldn't worship in the same way until one man came along named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was a righteous man. He was a man that, that, that loved God. And, and through that, he came and he went, or excuse me, he went to uh, the, the, the king, of the, the, the leader at the time, uh, the one that was keeping them captive. And he said, look, I, I want to return to Babylon. I want, or excuse me, I want to leave Babylon. I want to return to Jerusalem. I want to rebuild the walls. God has called me. He has led me to rebuild the walls. I want to I go and do this. And, and the process of doing so, the process for him to go and to rebuild the walls was more than just a, a physical city reconstruction. It was a spiritual awakening for the people. And so what he decided to do was encourage anybody that wanted to come along as they allowed him to do so through the, through the books of the law, through Moses' law. As he walked through this, he, he, he remembered the relationship that God had with him. And he went and, and, and through the, the, the reading of the law, through the reading of God's command, as he read it to the people who followed, he looked around and the people literally wept. They wept tears of joy. Some probably wept because of the the way that God had provided in the past and they'd taken that for granted. They wept because of the frustration they were walking through. Some wept because of sadness and they recognized their own guilt and drifting from God. And here's how it reads in Nehemiah 8.10. It reads like this. So here's the beauty in the midst of the scene. It reads like this. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those 
who have nothing prepared. This day is, a, is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. These were people who had lost everything, who were literally living in physical bondage. And let me tell you right now, there are people in the spiritual realm that live around us every single day who are living not in physical bondage, but in spiritual bondage. They are living in a bondage where Satan has a hold on them in some way. He's got a foothold in through their broken will or through the will that they have. Whatever it might be, for whatever reason, there are people in our midst that are living in spiritual bondage. And what Nehemiah says right here is, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The bondage you're living in, the brokenness you've suffered, the way that you've had to live or the, the circumstances you're in, they may not be the best. They may be dire, but this joy of the Lord is your strength strength. Celebrate it. Enjoy it. Live in it. Allow it to be something that that changes you, that transforms you. Why? Because this is the time for happiness that God has brought us back to in restoring the city here, but also for us on an annual basis to be restored through what God has done. He sent his son, Jesus. I I can't say that enough because I think sometimes it's like, okay, it's Christmas season. We walk through all the things that we do. We we go through the motions. We do all the, the traditions. We have all these things that we walk through. But literally, the reason that we celebrate this season is because God chose to save us. God chose to send himself through the person of Jesus Christ. Think about this for a moment. The only God that, that, you know, there's other gods out there, lowercase gods out there. The only God that said, look, I am going to be the path for you. You don't have to earn your way. You don't have to do anything. Matter of fact, you can't earn your way because you're not good enough. I will be the sacrifice for you. That's what God did through the person of Jesus. And that's what we celebrate. So while you're, you're, you're meeting with family, while you're opening a gift here and there, while you're eating that Christmas cookie, while you're singing that song or watching that Christmas movie, think about the reality of what this season is for. We can experience joy because God chose us. Our true, our true source of happiness, joy, and fulfillment comes from Christ. Now, Peter, 1 Peter 1, 8, and 9 reads like this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and, joy, and glorious joy. For you've received the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. An inexpressible and, jo- and glorious joy sounds like, like a deep thing, like something that, hey, you know, I don't know if I can attain that. I don't know if I can be there. You know, I, I'm reminded of, of the, the John Wesley monologue that, that Rusty just read about this, this being strangely warmed. What John Wesley was expressing there is this idea or this concept of a peace. The scripture talks about a peace that passes all understanding. John Wesley was well-educated, he was a preacher, he was a missionary, he traveled, he shared, he was, he was a person that knew the gospel, he, he shared it front and back, preached hundreds and hundreds of sermons on, 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 on coal piles, in pubs, in churches, anywhere that he could share the gospel. But it wasn't until his heart was strangely warm that this transition took place and he knew what real joy was. I'm not suggesting that, that we don't have, you know, have, or that we don't have this, I would say, don't worry, be happy mentality. That's, that's not what I'm suggesting. But sometimes the, the rushing fountain of joy in our lives is far beyond simply just uh, what we do and, and how we live, and it has way more to do with who God is and what he has done in and through us. 
The third part surrounds, uh, is surrounded by this idea of action, this, this, this mentality of, of moving forward. There's a lot of times in, the, in, in Scripture where the, we, we read the word rejoice. It's a word that we don't often use in our culture. I don't know how often you use the word rejoice. I, I, I can tell you that I don't use it that often. Rejoice is, is the verb form of joy. It's the action of feeling or expressing joy and delight. And think about this for a moment. I told you earlier I'm not a, an English major, um, but, but let me just say I, I know that the, that the R-E on the front of rejoice is actually a prefix. And what it means is to do it again, to express it again, to return to. And so this call to rejoice in Scripture is all about us returning to a place where we have joy, where we find joy, where we experience joy in who God is. James 1, 2, and 4 reads like this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. A return to joy might be a response to a difficult time in your life. Might be a response to saying, look, there's issues that are happening, but God wants to bring real and lasting joy in me once again. I've been coaching uh, for Upward the last several weeks, and I'm, I'm coaching with, uh, assistant coaching with a, uh, the first grade team. And let me just tell you, the first practice we came out, we said, okay, let's do this, let's do that, and we, you know, let's shoot a layup. And I, I, I quickly learned, my coach and I looked at each other, we quickly learned, hey, we need to get back to basics. Right? We need to get back to the basics of what matters, the basics of the, the core of what all of it is, the core of what, what, what God intended. I'm going to get back to the sermon here. What God intended for our lives. And I think right here, James gets it. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's almost like James gets it. He knows, hey, guess what? You're going to walk through issues. I have, everybody else has. If you follow Jesus, you're going to walk through issues. But those issues, God can use for good. So consider it pure joy. Perhaps, and this isn't even in my notes, but perhaps for you and I this week, when we walk through a difficult time, the first thing that we should be reminded of is James's words. This is an opportunity to consider it pure joy. When you're walking around in your bedroom and you're trying to get dressed in the morning and not wake anybody else up and it's dark and you kick the, the, you know, the, the foot of the bed and you, get that, you're, you're, you stub your toe, this is an opportunity to experience joy, right? <laughs> when that person cuts you off in traffic or that person says something at work that's trying to trigger you or you read the, that thing in the news or whatever it might be, this is an opportunity to experience, this is an opportunity to consider it pure joy. Because God wants to do something in you. And I love the reality. I love the reality that Satan can often or always remind us of who God is. Because what Satan intends to, to destroy us, to tear us down, to distract us, God can use to build us up, to grow us, and to bring us closer to him. And so anytime you struggle with a temptation, with a sin, anytime frustration comes in, or anxiety, or depression, those things ultimately can be the reminder. You know, a lot of times that's what fasting accomplishes. When you fast, well, whether it be from food or something else, when you engage in that opportunity to fast, what happens is every time your stomach growls, that can be the reminder to go to God for your strength, for your power, and ultimately here for your joy. 
So here's the key to that last one, the core of that last one. We can choose joy. You and I can choose joy. We can choose to allow things to tear us down or discourage us or distract us, or we can choose joy. Psalm 13 is a great example. Is how long, Lord, the psalmist says, will you forget me forever? It ends with this reminder and declaration in verse 5. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. So the psalmist starts by saying, God, why have you forgotten me? Are you going to forget me forever? But ends with the, the reality, the, the, the knowledge that you can trust in God because his salvation is forever. Friends, church, listen to me. This, this season, we can rediscover Christmas in a great new way. We can rediscover the, the, the idea of what Advent is by expressing this joy, by experiencing this joy. No matter what we're going through, no matter what issues come, no matter what we're walking through, the busyness or the, or, or the frustration, let us remember that those things can be a source of joy. Praise team is going to come up now, and as they do, we're going to kind of transition now. And I, I, I want to do a, a kind of an activity to conclude that this, this seeking happiness rather than the seasonal trappings or the, the traditions around us, seeking joy, seeking this understanding of who God is, a Savior, a Savior has been born, our Messiah, the Lord. And he will carry us through to the completion of his work in, in, in all things. And, and the reality of that should bring a little bit of peace. It obviously should bring comfort. It should bring uh, the necessity of realizing the love that he has, but it also should bring joy. Because that's hope fulfilled. But I know it, as well as you do that sometimes we hold on to things. Sometimes we grasp things. Sometimes we, 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 we take things or burdens and we kind of load them up. We keep them. We say, okay, here are the, the things that I'm going to hold on to, the things that I'm going to keep uh, me from being able to experience joy, experience God in a very real way. And so we revisit that original question, what is joy? And the quick kicker question that goes along with it, how do I live differently in light of joy? And the, and the response is this, rejoice through connection with the Savior. Rejoice through connection with the Savior. And the reason that that is, is so key is because when we connect with God, we experience real and lasting joy. We put down the distractions. We put down the baggage. We put down all the things that we have that are keeping us from being able to engage with our God. I'll just give you a, a quick Cliff's Notes of an illustration real quick that, to, to kind of give you this, this idea. I was recently, or excuse me, not recently, a while ago, I went on a trip, and as I was there, I went to all these different things. It was a, a trip in a tropical place, and so I was able to pick up some shells here and some different things there. Went to the market and picked up some things, got some things from the conference I was at, and eventually I had all these, all these things, all this baggage that I was carrying with me. And when I got to the bus that was going to take us to the airport, they just kind of gave me a look like, what in the world are you carrying around? Why on earth would you burden yourself with all of these bags of things? And I can't help but think that in some regard that Jesus is like that bus driver, that as we're coming to the King, we're coming to, through this Advent series, we're coming to this final exclamation point on Jesus uh, and his birth here on earth, and we come with all these bags, it's almost like God is saying, look, you don't need any of that. Why don't you just drop that right there, or better yet, why don't you let me carry it? And I'll walk you through. 
I want you to experience joy. I want you to experience a real and lasting touch. And so here's what we're going to do to, to kind of close this, this part of the, of, the, of the morning. I want to encourage you to think about the thing or the things in your life that have, have been distractions, things that have, have, have consumed your thoughts, consumed your spirit, that have been on your mind, all of these things, whether it be one thing or many things. And I want you to hold them in your hands. And as soon as you've got them all in there, get them all in. I want you to hold them tight. Get all the things or just that one thing. I want you to figuratively, obviously, hold them tight. If it's your spouse or somebody you're sitting next to, don't grab onto them. Just, just hold them tight, right? Everybody have them? In a moment, I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. And as I do, as we, as we walk through this moment together, we're going to take a moment together as, as a church here in this room and also joining online. And at a moment when we want to experience joy and, and let go of everything else, we're going to let go of these things and let God so that we might experience the fullness of his joy this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you now with clenched fists. We come to you now recognizing that you have something greater for us. And as we, in this moment, lift you up, in this moment we sing and we praise you, in this moment we give and we fellowship together, and all the things that go along with it, God, we still in some way can regard, we can, we can still realize that we are holding on to something large and small. But God, you have a different plan. You have a different way. You have different ideas for what you have for our lives. And so God, as we come to this place, we do so now broken and open to your spirit. And so God, together as a church here in this room and joining online, we open our hands. Letting go of the burdens we carry, letting go of the baggage we hold on to, letting go of the things that divide us, all the things that consume our mind, our heart, especially during this year, God, and we let you fill us. God, we ask for your continued joy in our lives. We ask that you would be uh, a, a guiding light for us, a, a comfort, a strength, God, the source of hope, the source of of peace, the source of love, and ultimately, God, today, the source of joy. May God, when we clench our hands once again, we don't hold on to the things that we let go of, but may we wrap our arms around the Savior who came to love us. God, we thank you for these moments. We thank you for all the things in our lives. We thank you for the traditions and all, all the things that we have. We don't, we don't, we don't, throw those away or cast them aside, God, but we put them in their place and we recognize that you are the king. You are the one on the throne. And so may we come to you for all, letting go of everything in our way to experience real and lasting joy. Thank you, Father, for your provision. Thank you for sending your son. God, something I, I can't even get my mind around the concept, God, but thank you for sending your son, Jesus. For without him, we're lost. May this season be one, Father, where we experience you in a greater way, where we know you, where we grow in you, and where we experience real and lasting joy. In your son's name we pray, and all of us said together, amen, amen. I want to encourage you to stand now. I'm going to give this benediction, and then we're going to, we're going to conclude this series with a, with a quick song, one you might know. 
one about joy. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Nehemiah 8.10. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless. God bless.